We don't have far to go before we finish. But I'm going to do something a little bit differently tonight. This is how we're going to do this. I'm going to start having some people represent different pieces in the tabernacle. And I'm going to have you to tell me what these different pieces um, mean and how they represent Christ. Um, So what we're going to start off with, we're going to start off with somebody doing the gate. Who's going to be the gate for me? Don't get too excited. Who's going to be the gate? Jennifer's going to be the gate. Okay. Who's going to be the altar of, who's going to be the lamb? The lamb. Who's going to be the altar of sacrifice? Okay, come on, Elno. She's going to be the altar of sacrifice. Who's going to be the laver? Come on, Athea. Who's going to represent the uh, priest? Nobody? Can I have a priest in the house? Okay, all y'all can have a seat. Jennifer going to start off with the gate, and she's going to explain the gate. Um, y'all can sit down, and as she get through with her part, then y'all can do y'all part. Um, Jennifer, I want you to start over there like you at the gate. We, y'all know you can stay close up here. You don't have to walk back to your seat because you're going to come right back. Who's going to be my priest? Nobody? You better name it and claim it. (laughs) Come on, Kathy, you be the priest. Who's going to be the one that's offering up the lamb? I know he's the lamb, but who's going to offer up the lamb? Brother Willie, come offer up the lamb. I'm going to start calling names. You, You know you're offering up lamb. Jennifer, you start over there at the... You're going to tell them about the gate. You represent the gate. Okay, so we know that there's a courtyard there. <laughs> I don't want to get into somebody else's. Okay, and so the courtyard, the the um, the linen, the white linen, which represents God's the purity of God, it surrounds um, the tabernacle and the courtyard, so that the um, the outside when they all the Judah was around it, they were all camped around it, and so when they looked at it, that's what they saw. And um, so the only way to go in is the gate. And Jesus is the gate. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but by me. And anyone that comes any other way is a thief and a robber. And so we know that you, um, you can, the only way you can get into heaven is to accept what Christ has done on our behalf for our sins. So we know that, um, as she says, um, Sin has been dealt away with, and Jesus did that. And you, you threw. You want me to stop? Yeah, you stop. Now, she, she talked about the gate. The next thing that we have is she's bringing a lamb uh, to be offered up. Jennifer, you can actually bring that lamb because you come through the gate with the lamb. Now, Mr. Bryant, tell us about what that lamb, the purpose of the lamb. <laughs> come on, lamb. Uh, the purpose of the lamb was to, uh, when we were sinned, we had to bring a sacrifice to the altar, which was the lamb. 
and they had to put both hands on the lamb's head for the sacrificial. Okay, and how does that lamb represent us? No. Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Who's the lamb? Jesus is the lamb. Okay, he's the lamb. Now, Elnor, you the altar. What's good, what happens at the altar with that lamb? They place more the lamb on the head, and then they sprinkle, they cut the uh, lamb head off, and they uh, pour blood on the altar, and they pour it at the basin of the altar to sacrifice the lamb. Okay. Now, who represents the labor? Okay, Athea, tell us about the labor. Yeah, y'all can have a seat. After they make the sacrifices, you know, blood gets on them, and <clears throat> excuse me, their feet are dirty from walking because they have on sandals. So they have to go and wash in that labor. And also when they wash in that labor, they look at themselves, they can see a reflection of themselves. And they have to go in the word and wash. That's what we do now. We go in the word and the word washes us like the labor washed them clean. The word of God washes us clean. Okay. Now, how did it represent Jesus? The labor. The labor. Because Jesus is the word. Uh, John 1.14 says the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. Amen. So now we're going to where? What's the next part we're going to? Kathy, you didn't do your part, did you? She's a priest. The next part that we're going to, you you washing at that labor. You're the priest. So you, we done did that part. I'm sorry. <laughs> Kathy, say thanks. <laughs> Kathy, say thanks for washing me, Athea. Um, so the next part that we're going into, where are we going now? Where is that located? Okay, so we're going in the tabernacle, right? Behind the what? The veil. I need somebody to represent the lampstand. I need somebody, come on, Kwana. I need somebody to represent the um, table of showbread. And then I need somebody to represent the altar of incense. Three people. Okay, Kwana, tell me about the lampstand. You can get the mic. The lampstand is one piece. It's made of pure gold. It has six branches, and it's like the almond tree. Um, and it has six bowls, and they're like the almond. And that represents um, the almond because it was the first to bud. And Jesus is the first fruit. And um, they would put the lampstand in the tabernacle because it was dark. There was no windows, and it provided light. And Jesus is the light of the world. We were once dark, and he, you accept him, you, you have the light. Okay, now you said there were six. Bold. How many is it all together? Seven. Seven. <laughs> okay. Now, you got it. Did she miss anything? Huh? The oil? Oh, yes. And oil was put in the bowls, and, and they had to burn this continually. Okay, who had to do it? The priest. Okay. Now, the next thing is what, Brother Hayes? You can get him the mic. Um. Table of showbread. Mm-hmm. 
the t on the table of showbread, it was developed to hold with the, the bread. And the bread itself were 12 loaves of bread represents the 12 tribes of Israel. And the 12 loaves were placed on the table in half, six on one side, six on the other side. And the 12 loaves of bread, it would be changed every seven days after the day of the Sabbath. How did it represent Jesus? It represented Jesus by the table. Uh, uh, Jesus was the sacrifice, which is the bread, the bread of life. He's the bread of life. And what did that table represent? The table represents fellowship. All right. So now who's doing the altar incense? Is Jonas taking a test? Where's Jonas? She went over there? Okay. Who's doing the altar incense? You doing it, Gloria? You had your hand up, Brother Willie? Go check it out and see. Hold up, man. Amen. Okay, come on, man. Hold up. She she almost finished. She done. Go ahead, man. Um, the altar of incense. The purpose was to burn incense upon it. Um, um, the priest had to burn the incense and. God would smell the uh, that sweet smell would go beyond the veil over the over the uh, mercy seat, and the incense represents the prayer of the saints. Um, David said, "Let his prayer be a sweet incense unto God," and it also represents uh, Jesus Christ. Um, it says uh, in Hebrews seven, He's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God, seeing He ever lives to make intercession for them so he's he's constantly interceding for us um so that's how that uh, altar represents him amen y'all wasn't that good now i need one person to do it all over again from the gate on up to the altar of incense who's going to do that for me tie it all in y'all don't have to run up here it's okay We're going to tie it all in. Come on, Jennifer. Jennifer, you want to tie it all in? Uh-huh. Okay, so we know that um, God gave this to Moses as a pattern. And the pattern, um, everything in the Old Testament foreshadows um, Jesus and what's to come and so that pattern sets the standard and so the um the how he laid out the tabernacle in the courtyard um having to come you know and it representing his his purity god's purity and we could only get to him by going through the gate and jesus being the gate 
So, um, so we know that when Jesus came, or even the people that believed on Jesus, um, he was the gate. That was the only way to get in. And he's also the high priest. And so when you bring the sacrifice, when they brought the sacrifice of the lamb or the turtle doves, it had to be um, without blemish. It couldn't be like, you know, couldn't have a broken leg or something wrong with it. It couldn't be defective. And we know that, um, and, the, and the high priest would inspect it. And so we know that Jesus um, was perfect because he had the blood of the Father and he didn't have the blood of man, so he had no sin in him. And so, um, but he also represents the priest, um, our priest between us and God. He's the intercessor. And so, um, so then when they come in and they laid their hand on the, the, the head of the sacrifice, identifying with that. And, you know, so that they, they identified, okay, this should have been me. No matter how good I think I am, this should have been me. But the lamb has taken it for me. And that's how we are. It should have been me because I can't do it for myself, but Jesus has taken it for me. And then that, when they shed that blood, when they cut the lamb's throat, they shed that blood, and that represents Christ shedding his blood. And then it was sprinkled on the mercy seat. And, and that's what Jesus did when he, when he rose. He went to heaven and sprinkled his, offered his blood over the mercy seat. And when God accepted it, Okay, then the, um, then the priest, um, their other part of their duty was to, um, they had to wash at the laver because their hands would be, you know, would get dirty and their feet would get dirty. Everything else was covered. So they washed and the laver was, that's where we get lavatory from now. It was, in, in the, it was um, shiny inside, so it ref, you saw your own reflection. And that's what the Word should do to us when we read the Word and we meditate on the Word. It should show us we should see ourselves. And, and, but also the Word cleanses us. And so they cleanse themselves, and then they were able to go into the um, Holy of Holies and, and do the duties of the priest. And that's what Jesus did for us. He's our high priest and he, he himself is the bread of life, and so he's our bread of life, and he's the light of the world, and he, in, the, in the tabernacle, he was the light. He was the one that um, dispelled the darkness, and that's what he does for us, and he's ever, um, he's, he's always, um, the light is always going, the oil is always burning, and the Holy Spirit is always going. He's always burning, and the um, incense is always going up. It's always burning. And same way, Jesus is always making intercession on our behalf. So it's, it's continually going. So we don't have to do it. We do like he tells us to do, but we don't have to do it. And we just thank God that he's done it. Amen. I let that yeah. Amen. Isn't that good, y'all? Isn't it awesome? You can really talk to somebody about that tabernacle and how it represents Jesus and how Jesus done it on our behalf. So why don't we just take a deep breath and say, quit trying to do it, it's done. Isn't that something? Jennifer, you did explain it well. (laughs) Amen. So we went through all of that. Praise God, we got through all of that. It was a lot more scriptures in it, but we just needed a few, right? Now, let's talk about the other piece of furniture that we're going into. We're going to go into the holies of holies. Amen. The holies of holies. We'll find that in Exodus chapter um, 
25, and what I'm going to talk about tonight is the Ark of Covenant that's found in Exodus 25, dealing with the Ark of Covenant. It's telling you what it's made of, um, the height, the length, all of that is in Exodus 25, verses 10 through verse 15. And when we look at what it's made of, we can tell that it was um, made of wood, and that wood represent again the humanity of Jesus. And then we look at the um, overlaid with gold, his deity, his holiness. So that's what that was made of. And we look at even the um, staves that they used to carry the um, Ark of Covenant. It was made of wood but overlaid with gold. So everything in the um, tabernacle was made of gold because it represents his deity. It represents his divine nature. Now, what was the purpose of the Ark of Covenant? It was the place of God's presence. That was the purpose of it. It was the place of God's presence. You can find that in Exodus 25, verse 22. Exodus 25, verse 22 said, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the Ark of the Testimony. All of all things which I will give thee in commandments unto the children of Israel. So that was the place of God's presence where he would meet and he would give Moses all of those command, everything that they needed to give to the people. So the Ark of Covenant, it was the place of God's presence. Now, on that Ark of Covenant, where it's described in Exodus uh, 25, 10 through 15, it talks about the um, crown of gold. It's a crown of gold around that Ark of Covenant. Now, that represents him as being king of kings. It has crowns around it. It represents his kingship. That's Revelation 17, verse 14. Revelation 17, verse 14. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So that crown around, those crowns around that Ark of Covenant represents his kingship. What was the purpose of the Ark of Covenant? It was a place of God's presence, Exodus 25 through 22. What was the Ark made of? You can find that in Exodus 25, 10 through verse 15. What did the crown of gold around it represent? Kingship. Scripture to back that up is Revelation 17, verse 14. The wood represents his human nature, the gold, his divine nature, and his holiness. Now, I want to talk about the contents in the ark, the contents that were in the ark. The Ten Commandments, they were placed in that ark. Exodus 25, 16. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. That testimony represents the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, this is um, the commandments that God was given unto the people upon that mount. And this is when they say they will obey all of his commands. So they had um, Ten Commandments on two tables of stone in that Ark of Covenant. And that represented, um, you know, the commandments of God. 
And by putting those Ten Commandments in there, it's reminding people of God's commands, but it's also reminding them how they rejected God's right standard of living because the people kept going back on what God was telling them to do. So that being placed in the Ark of Covenant is reminding them of those commands, but letting them know, too, how you rejected the commandments of God. Then they had a pot of manna. Exodus 16, verse 32. Exodus 16, verse 32 said, And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commandeth, fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. Now the reason why they kept this bread, because it was going to remind them of the provision that God had made for them while they were in the wilderness and how he had kept them. So the bread was um, going to remind them of how God provided for them, how, you know, everything that they needed, you know, far as food, God provided. But it also was going to remind them of rejecting God's provision. It was in the word of God where they got tired of the manna. They wanted something else besides the manna. So by that manna going into that Ark of Covenant, it's... um, reminding them of how God provided for them, but it's also a reminder of how they rejected the provision that God had made for them. And then we had Aaron's staff that budded. We talked about that in number 16, how Korah and Dathan and Abiram, they were uh, coming together to, they wanted to be priests when God had already chosen him a priest, which was Aaron. And they were coming against um God's authority. So what God did, God um, told them um, to give them 12 rods. And they put 12 rods, and Aaron's rod was the only rod that budded. And the reason why God did that is to let them know this is the one that I have chosen. You can find that in number 17, verse 10. Number 17, verse 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels, and thou shalt quick take away their murmuring from me that they die not. So that was going to be a testimony to let them know by that rod being in that Ark of Covenant how they rebelled against God's authority, how they were trying to um, choose who they thought needed to be the priest instead of going on who God have chosen. Now, we see what was in it, but now we want to talk about how does these items that we just talked about represent Jesus. Okay, how does these items represent Jesus? First of all, the Ten Commandments. How does it represent Jesus? Jesus fulfilled those commands. According to Matthew 5, 17, remember they could not fulfill God's commands because they kept um, rejecting, they kept disobeying God. But in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So Jesus fulfilled the law. Everything that God asked them to do, they couldn't do, but Jesus came and he fulfilled it. Also in Romans 3, verse 20 through verse 22, it says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, but by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. 
even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. So Jesus fulfilled what they could not fulfill. So that's how um, those um, Ten Commandments represented Jesus. Then we look at the manna. What? Jesus is the bread of life. We already know that one, right? So that manna was representing Jesus as being the bread of life, John 6, 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. So Jesus was representing the bread of life, which come down from heaven, which that manna represented. And that's how Jesus um, represented that. But then in John 6, 48 through 51, it says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So that manna that was in there represented Jesus as being the bread of life. Let's talk about Aaron Rod that budded. And how did that represent Jesus? Jesus is the chosen priest, and he's the resurrection and the life. Jesus didn't reject God's authority. Instead, he submitted himself to the Father's will and died on the cross. So Jesus didn't reject God's authority. He's the resurrection and the life. According to John 6, 38, he said, For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So Jesus recognized God's authority. He didn't reject God's authority. He did exactly what God had chosen him to do. And y'all know 1 Corinthians 15, 20 said, But now in Christ, risen from the dead, and become the first fruits of them that sleep. So he was the first fruits of them that sleep to be risen from the dead. And John eleven twenty five says, Jesus said unto her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believe in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So we see that Jesus never rejected God's authority. Whatever God told Jesus to do, that's what he done because he knew that God had chose him to do it. So he didn't rebel against God. He's the resurrection and the life, and he's the first fruit um, amongst those that um, come from the dead that are risen. Y'all, isn't this awesome? Everything foreshadows Jesus. So if we put it all together, we will see what Jesus have done for us on our behalf, meaning that today we don't have to do it, meaning that our righteousness won't fit the bill. Jesus' righteousness is what fits the bill, and we have to accept his righteousness in order for us to be righteous before the Father. So it's all about Jesus, and that's how the church um, should come in order with the order the way that God created the order, not the way we think it need to be. This is why you have so many churches out of order because they're putting people in place that God did not chose for that position. And when you put people in the wrong place that God did not choose, it's going outside of the pattern of God. You got so many people that want a title. They see everybody else doing something so they feel like they should do it. They become Korah, Abiram, Abiram, and Dathan. So we have those in the church. If somebody is doing well in something, oh, I can do better. That's a rebel. Or if somebody is singing well, oh, I can sing better. I could have done that better. That's what the enemy wants. But when we keep the order that God gives, and God is going to give it to the one 
that he has put in charge. Remember, he gave the pattern to Moses. Moses passed that pattern down to whomever God allowed him to pass it to. He even had the ones to make the furniture. Everybody couldn't make it because God put the spirit upon the ones he would have to make every piece of furniture that was in that tabernacle. The one that he called to make it, he had people up under him to help him make it. So God put his spirit upon them to help him make it. Moses had Aaron, did he not? So Moses gave the order to Aaron, and Aaron had to carry it out as a priest. Y'all, this is so good. So if we do it like that in the house of God, we won't have nothing missing, nothing broken. But when things get out of order, it is up to the ones that God has put in charge to put it back the way God would have it to be. Because if you don't, a divided house will fall, and it will stop um, what God wants done in that house. Miriam and her brother Aaron, remember they start coming against Moses. When they start coming against Moses, guess what? They had to wait seven days until Miriam was free of that leprosy before they could move forward. This is what happens in the house of God. When God give a particular task to someone and someone be rebelling, saying we need to do it this way or we need to do it that way, they're stopping what God wants to go forward. So this is why we need to stay in the pattern of God. And that's why he laid that, laid that tabernacle out so the people would know the order and the way he want things done because it was foreshadowing Jesus Christ. We got one more piece to do, and that's the mercy seat. We're going to wrap that up. We're going to tie it in. And everybody that's in this class that have signed up for this class, after I wrap up the mercy seat, you're going to have to do exactly like Jennifer done and go through every item in that tabernacle and explain it. Look at your neighbor say amen. It is so. So next week, um, we'll start on the mercy seat after we wrap that up. We're going to go back over it again because when we get into the New Testament, dealing with the order, dealing with the fivefold, dealing with all of that, then we'll look at the whole picture. Amen. Thank God what, where we have been so far. Has anybody enjoyed this teaching as much as I have? Have anybody uh, seen themselves in this teaching? To see how the order supposed to be. See, we can't get out of the order of God. We have to stay up under his authority in the way that he does things. We can't let any and everybody think that they know when they don't know. We want to stay in alignment with what God is saying. Amen. Did anybody have anything they want to add to dealing with the tabernacle from the beginning to the end that has helped them? Manny? You come up. I was just thinking of how much um, some of the New Testament scriptures really make sense. Like, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the uh, holiest by the blood of Jesus. Um, just like she was teaching about the high priest, how he had to offer up those prayers and the people would be outside praying, you know, and how, how he would, you know, they would hope that he would come back out alive like he could literally die in there. But now we have that boldness to go in. You know, that's what gives us the boldness because Jesus' blood is, is offered. So we don't have to worry about not coming back out, you know. So it's, it's, it just makes it plain. And even uh, all the things that she explained um, that we had to do, 
you know, that Christ has done that really makes it makes it clear on like entering into his rest. Like because Christ has did it all. Like we just enter into to what he's done. And and it's so much rest. I mean, we can see all these different things that, that, that they had to do. Just this just like God said, make a tabernacle that I may dwell amongst them. That was just for God to commune with them and, and be so they could be in his presence. So he did everything just to, so we could get back in that in that good fellowship with him, you know. Um, so it just shows us how much he's done and, 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 uh, the work that we don't have to do just to, to get before our father. Like she said, she can, you can be in the car or in your kitchen and just tap right in, you know, without going through all these rituals and, and washings and all these things, you know, and I think so many of us just take it for granted, you know, but that's a, that's a real blessing. I thank Manny for bringing out that scripture in Hebrews four about going before the throne. You know, we can go before that throne because of Jesus, not because of anything we've done. So don't look at yourself as being, I got to do this before I can go before God today. Jesus already did it. So if you go in his name, God ain't looking at you. He's looking at him. But what hinders you from going to that throne is condemnation and guilt. So this is why you, when the Holy Spirit is reminding you of something that you know that ain't right, immediately you just get rid of that that's not going to stop you from getting what you already have but it's going to hinder you from believing what jesus has already done so y'all we have everything it's already ours so we need to quit beating ourselves up and, and saying well i got to do this before i get it or i got to do that and when manny was talking i was seeing them in that tabernacle y'all working hard <laughs> And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Can you imagine all that killing and all that blood? And every day they had to do this. And guess what, y'all? This was only for past sins. Can you imagine? Jesus died for past, present, and future sin. <laughs> they had to do it for past, but they still had to. It's a part in there I want to go back over because some of the things that they didn't know that was going to occur, I think the priest went back in there. I'm going to go back and look at it. But look at us today. Jesus wrapped it all up for us. So even things that we even think about doing, he already done paid the price for it. So we don't have to be sitting in prayer so long crying out, Lord, help me. He already helped you. Don't we do it? Lord, help me. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I won't do it no more. Lord, if you don't let this happen to me, Lord, I won't do it. Lord, I won't eat another piece of pork chop. Lord, I clear I won't eat it. Just take this dizziness. I won't eat another sick, another piece of pork chop, Lord. I, I, just please, Lord. Is that not what we do? Oh, Lord, if you just take this pain, Lord, I'd be good to Teresa next week. I'd be real good to, I speak to a Lord, I love on the Lord, just take this pain, Lord. Who's listening to that foolishness? He's not. <laughs> but we do this because it makes us feel good. It makes you feel like you're doing something for God to do something, don't it? That's what, because in your mind, you get happy. You're feeling like, wow, I'm going to do this right here, and God's going to give me that. And you feel so happy because it's something you feel like you got to do to get it done. But like Manny say, you can be at rest when you know it's already done. And it gives me an example. Women, I don't know about y'all. When my house is clean, clean, and I know it's clean, I can sit down. 
and just smell that sweet aroma of Lysol and stuff just coming through that y'all know what I'm talking about women and it smells so good you know it's clean you can rest can't you Julia and just you be thank you Jesus that's how it is with the word when you know Jesus have done it all you can rest because when something go on in your life and you quote that scripture you can rest because it's the word is to find authority it's already done so the only thing you got to do is say God I give you glory right Renee for what he's already done you might as well give him glory right now that your lungs is already clear, that you are free from allergies. You're free from sinus infections. You're free. You might as well give God glory that Jesus took all that upon himself so she don't have to take it. It's already hers so she can rejoice. And again, I say rejoice because he's already done it so she can rest in that. Amen. God is just so good, isn't he? Do we have anything else? Jennifer? Here, Jennifer. I'm going to say in this country, because we've had it made. We got it made here because we can, you know, worship and when you grow up in church. But if you're not taught, they knew what they had to do. They had to work at it, and that was a job. And I just thank God that we're getting taught about this because it gives you, like Manny said, when you look at the New Testament, you're like, it relates. And you say, then you, like you said, wow, I can rest in this because I'm all about it. I don't want to even try to do it because I know I'll mess it up. But if I say, Jesus, ooh, hallelujah, I'm going to rest on that. I just think that's awesome. And I just think that that's a, a, a big part of it. The, the church in general don't realize what they ha- what would ha- we would have to do, and in churches are still a lot of churches are still hung up on the traditions of the going through the motions, and they get they so used to going through the motions they don't know why they're going through the motions, and we realize through the teachings there was a purpose about it it was about changing the heart, mm-hmm. but it just got to be a tradition. Mm-hmm. That's all they knew to do. And they didn't really know why they was doing it. I just I was um. This minister was well. This minister was sharing a testimony of a lady that was in a wheelchair for a long time, and she was crying out to God, and she became bitter because she was saying this was God's will for her. She said this is what God says she had to go through. So when the woman was um, talking about healing and stuff, she just um, started screaming out, "When God?" When are you going to heal me? Because she became bitter. So the lady come down to her and she looked at her and she say, for one, God's already healed you through Jesus Christ. For two, that's the devil that's telling you that this is God's will for you because God's will is to heal. So she laid hands on her and she said, before this service is even over, you coming out of this wheelchair. And immediately when she laid hands on her, she just felt, fell back and took a deep breath. Before that service was over, the lady was coming out of the wheelchair because she said you had to take authority over what the enemy had her believing that was true. So this is why when you talk to people, you have to listen to what they say and then you have to rebuke, come against that lie and then you have to begin to speak the truth and stand on what you know is true. So she could have been out that wheelchair, but she believed that God was putting her through this for a reason. 
So there's a lot of people that believe this is God's will for me. God is showing me his hand. And that's not true. That is not God's will. So we have to take that authority because now that we're in Christ, he gave us the right. He gave us the keys to the kingdom through him. And when we speak that word, we have to know that it is done outside of what it appear to be. Amen. If that's it, we have the deacons to come up and we will dismiss. Don't forget hardcore Friday and Saturday. Friday at 8 o'clock, we will have movie night. Saturday beginning at 10 we will be um, having a skit dealing with the children, um, songs. Um, uh, what else we're going to have? Kwana. Dancing. Food. 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 <laughs> and we'll be giving away supply, supplies and gift certificates and things like that. And what did you say about the tabernacle, Brother Willie?